Well, that was quiet. G'day. How's it going? Good to see you all. They're like, who's this guy up there? I shaved my head. I know. It's crazy. If you haven't seen me in a while, you're probably like, what? I was getting to that time, man. It was that time of the year. It was that time of my uh, life cycle that it was just like, what? It's done. I'm good. Let's move on. Um, Pastor Greg just made an announcement. So um, that might be a bit of a surprise to some of you, actually, as you're probably wondering what Maddie and Ashley Coppin are up to in their life. And uh, it's been a year of uh, discerning the Holy Spirit and being awakened to purpose. And uh, it's been a good year. Um, and I'll give you a little brief context because we do have to get into the sermon because we're sandwiched between two services today and uh, we do want to get to the Word of God. But I just want to give you a bit of context. And as this thing unfolds, we'll share a little bit more as, as we go along. And we're just so thankful for your generosity and your support for those that know Ashley and I. We're just, we really are. We're so encouraged by just how much you guys just encourage us and continue to support us in our faith walk here. And um, for whatever reason, God called uh, me to Canada a long, long time ago, and it's been quite a great journey uh, getting involved in the context here and learning and growing. And uh, uh, many, many years ago, it was probably about 12 years ago, the Commonwealth Games came to Melbourne, Australia, and the ministry that I was serving with called Fusion, who are a, uh, a missional organization, but at the heart of it is like a discipleship that in Australia, in the educational framework, they were recognized as a registered training organization as well. So their discipleship school was actually a registered certificate in a youth work diploma, which was really incredible. And so there was this big outreach that took place in 2005, I think it was, for the Commonwealth Games, maybe 2006, sorry, um, that came to Melbourne, Australia. So Fusion had this big outreach that was across all of the state of Victoria, which is where I was from. As part of that, there was a bunch of internationals that came. And one of the guys that I met, his name is Yuda. If you've been in Bonacord, uh, you may have heard me talk about Yuda before, but Yuda's from Indonesia, and Yuda's become a really good buddy of mine. He came and did this three-month discipleship school training where he got like a youth work certificate, and he went back to Indonesia. Our journeys took different paths. I was one of his mentors back then, but like over the years, life has gone on. Um, and what I, he reached out to me um, a couple of years ago just to get back in touch and be like, Maddie, I just need some, some mentorship again. And I realized that he had gone on this incredible journey. He was serving as a missionary for many years. He went and got his PhD um, and he was serving in the medical field. And he also had just recently started as a pastor. Um, if you, Yuda is actually, um, was a Muslim by birth. He grew up with a father who was a cleric in the Islamic faith and uh, his mom was just submitted to that journey. And uh, Yuda just grew up as a, as a sort of a devout Muslim. Um, he went to a university that wasn't a fundamentalist Islamic university, so they did have like Christians on campus that would do prayer meetings. And Yuda, before he came to faith, was um, following the Islamic faith. And then, as you've probably heard this testimony many times, particularly with the Islamic faith, he had a dream. He had this dream one night, and he shares it so much better than me, but he has this dream where it was like this, he didn't know at the time it was a scripture from the Christian Bible. He just had this sort of couple of sentences, and I wish I could remember the scripture it was, but he woke up thinking, what was that? Makes no sense. He'd gone to university, um, he, he went to classes, I don't know how long the time was in between, but eventually he heard about this Christian group that were meeting on campus, so he thought he'd go over and just check out what, what they were all about, mostly, I think, to argue with them, which, you know, tends to be the thing, um, and he went to this thing, and guess what they were talking about? The verse that he had a dream about. He was just like, that's what I dreamt! What is this? And he had this incredible encounter with God, and it changed his life. 
And so then, fast forward all these years, I meet him in Australia while he's coming with a group of Indonesians to do missions training and to get fired up for God, and he goes back to Indonesia, and now he's got this PhD, he's working in the medical field, and now he's a pastor of a church in Jakarta that meets in a mall, and he's reaching out to street kids and prostitutes and doing this incredible, phenomenal work. And now he's got all these people coming into his life that are like ready for discipleship, they're meeting Jesus, they're ready to go, and so not long ago he got in touch with me, and he actually came over to Canada, and he did Fusion's Foundations course, uh, he came and shared in Bonacord, and just recently he got given an eight-acre parcel of land um, to do missions from. It's an agricultural center, it's got a building on it, and there's this dream to start bringing these people who are being discipled in Jakarta to come and learn practical application like agriculture, discipleship, uh, medical training, micro-businesses, like this guy is a great brain. So he's got this dream for this thing. And so one of my dreams and one of Ashley's dreams together, we have just dreamt about what would it mean to have kind of like a discipleship school to come around people in those kinds of cultures and here in Canada as well that would support that journey. If you ever know anything about theological education, it's actually really expensive. It costs tens of thousands of dollars. Uh, The other challenge with theological education is if you want to pursue theological education and you're someone like me who's married with two kids, you, you know, at one time serving as a pastor in a context, being faithful to that context, to then try and pursue a theological education can be really difficult because you have to kind of disconnect from the primary, primary place that you've been planted as a father and as a husband and as a pastor or whatever it is, to then go and pursue theological education and to pay tens of thousand dollars to do it and then start spending money on a library of books. It can be a really difficult journey. And I'm not saying it's a wrong journey. For some, that's just what God does. But it can be really challenging. And implant that in a culture like Indonesia, that can be really difficult. So the question that, you know, we've been asking is, how do we make discipleship accessible to someone like a Yuda, who is on the front line of ministry, bringing the kingdom of God to broken families, and is, is implanted in his culture whom he loves, to do a, 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 a discipleship course that is contextual to Indonesia, with the people in front of him, with the resources available to them, to take that faith journey. And so, 10 years ago, we encountered a guy named David Williams, who's the president of Taylor Seminary here in Edmonton. Um, He came to Australia, saw Fusion's model and said, wow, Canada could really use this. And so he's been on a journey for 10 years trying to find ways to make that possible within the educational system. It's very difficult, doesn't translate as easily here than what it does in Australia, who are very competency-based in their approach to education. Um, But Sioux Falls Seminary came up with this wonderful model where they've worked that all out. And so Taylor has partnered with Sioux Falls Seminary and two other seminaries now to make accessible um, seminary levels of discipleship for contextual learning, meaning that I don't have to go and disconnect from where God has me to go and get educated, but my education happens with the Holy Spirit on the ground where He has me, with mentors, with people around me from the faculty, from people who are in my context and people who are personal to me, looking at my discipleship with a lens to help me grow and mature, and that would be my discipleship. Now, they've come up with a model that is a Master of Divinity, a THD, like a doctorate, and also they've come up with a bachelor level, but my dream has always been like, what would it mean for everyday people at a certificate level, for people like Yuda, who are on the front line, to disciple these people in his context, to make it affordable, make it accessible, and something that they can do to grow the kingdom in their culture? 
that doesn't require a whole bunch of North American books to do it. Do you know what I mean? That are expensive and hard to access, but to make it contextual. And so that's been a bit of a dream. So we're in this really cool season now where Ashley and I have stepped in, uh, in with a step of faith to sort of dream that dream and begin to put teeth to that reality in partnership with Taylor and Sioux Falls and with Fusion Canada, who are now a charity, to be able to deliver a contextual certificate model that could actually carve a pathway for someone in Indonesia to learn about Jesus and go on an educational journey that could actually get them a doctorate at one level, that's affordable and makes sense and is meaningful to their context, where they can flourish and grow and in the place that God has them. So that's just a little bit of a sneak peek on what Ashley and I are feeling called into. It's a season of faith for us, man. We're just jumping into this thing, and some of that will make more sense as I share my sermon today. Amen? So thanks so much for your support. Hopefully, if you have any questions, come let me know, but we are looking forward to taking this journey and updating you all on what God is doing across the globe and also here in Canada. So we're going to jump into our text today and into the sermon. So just stretch for a minute because that was a big blast at you. We're really thankful. Um, But we want to get into this Word of God today and get going. Um, And I want to preach to you today from a text that has been so meaningful to my own discipleship journey. Does anyone here have like a a life verse that you kind of live from or something in the Bible that you find yourself coming back to quite often. I don't know if you have that or not. Don't feel guilty if you don't. I do. It's Romans chapter 5, verse 1 to 5. And that little chunk of Scripture has been this kind of sort of reorientating Scripture for me. And I want to just share a few thoughts from there today, hopefully to encourage you and fill you with some, um, I don't know, some courage to do what God's calling you to do. Um, but this this little chunk of verse is so meaningful to me, it's it's something that I've come back to quite often, and it's in the context of the whole book of Romans. Romans is an elaborate, beautifully written piece of work. It's rich with understanding, rich with theology, rich with life, and rich with all kinds of beautiful layers. N.T. Wright, a professor uh, of New Testament theology, says, no other book of the Bible has so shaped and renewed the church and its thinking from St. Augustine to Martin Luther and John Wesley to Karl Barth, the church has found fresh fuel for faith and fresh energy for mission when it encounters Romans anew. It's this beautiful piece of work that empowers the church to just keep living the church. It's a beautiful thing. And But here's this little gem. Um, sometimes I like to preach a whole book of the Bible, sometimes it's a chunk of Scripture, and sometimes it's just a verse. Today it's just going to be a verse. But to put it in a little bit of context, we're going to look at Romans chapter 5, verse 1 to 4, and I'm going to focus on verse 5. I'm just going to read this, give you a couple of thoughts, and then we're going to move into just verse 5 today and think about three things to do with that verse. Romans 5 says this, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. There's so many amazing layers just to this, if you were to stop and reflect and understand some of the depth of what is even being said in this little part, it's so rich, it's so beautiful, and I can't focus a lot there, but just I want to throw a couple of little thoughts at you here you know, faith in Christ 
has given us peace with God. And Jesus has given us access to a grace in which we now stand. How many of you know, because of the amazing work of Jesus Christ, you now have a fullness of peace with the God of the universe, and you now stand firm in the reality of His amazing and abounding grace. You are immoved because of what Jesus did, despite your shortcomings every day. Despite your failings and our lack of desire for God, Jesus has established us on this foundation of His grace. Boy, you could just preach on that thought and be so encouraged, I bet. Because His grace is so sufficient for you. You can stand in this fixed position. of I am so reminded because I, I slip up. I slip up so often. I, I just am so short of the glory of God. I so miss the mark every day in my life. My heart is deceitful. I am orientated to the wrong things. And then I come back to this and I remember I have peace with God because of Jesus Christ. And I stand in a position. I love the word stand because it's like it's an active sort of stand. You can imagine it. You can envision what standing looks like and it's standing on His grace. The word stand actually means to persist, to continue, to persevere, to keep on going. Despite our shortcomings, the Bible reminds us here that you are fixed in this place of grace, which means when you screw up, you keep going. You just get to keep moving, you keep persevering, you keep going on, you don't have to give up. Even though it feels like it sometimes, it doesn't matter because the covenant Jesus has with the Father means that He is perfect. And you are brought into a place of peace with the God of the universe. You can stand in His grace. Jesus has won your salvation. Your spiritual condition is governed by His divine grace that is powerful. We're not even in verse 5 yet. You can continue in your faith because God is inclined toward you constantly with His favor. He's constantly inclined to you loves you. He's inclined toward you with His favor. And I love this, that He's for you and not against you. And our text goes on to say that there's some challenges, there's tough times, there's there's sufferings, there's things that happen on this earth. But, But here's the thing, no matter what happens, the text tells us that we have a hope of eternity. Hope literally means an expectation it's not wishy-washy, and I've used this before, but it's not as though you're putting your hope in a horse to win and it loses. Or oh, I've put all my investment on this horse, and please, 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 you're just wishing that it would, and by chance it might, by chance it would. No, hope, elpis, it means it's going to happen. So despite the things, because we have peace with God, we stand in His grace, now we have this incredible hope. That means that we've got eternity in our hearts. We have the reality of the eternal God who transcends time and space operating in us. We have eternity to look forward to. That's really good news. It's a a certainty. It's going to come to pass. And it says here that we have hope. It's not going to put us to shame. And we can do that because we are a people of hope. We're a people where God has placed hope in, eternity in, and we bring hope and we minister hope to the world. Amen? We're the hope bearers. We deal in hope, man. Like, we're standing on the street corner saying, hey, you want to buy some hope? Like, we're selling hope, we're giving hope, we're we're living hope, because we have this certainty of eternity in our hearts. 
Eternity's good. And this is just the first couple of verses. So we're not going to focus on them. You can just go and read them yourself. Verse 5, I love though. This is where I wanted to really emphasize. It's such a beautiful little piece of text. Because I think when we get it, I hope it just gives us another dimension of God's love. Just another dimension for you to view and understand. It says here, hope doesn't put us to shame. We can look foolish, we can live silly, we can live for God. We're not going to be shamed because of it, because eternity's real, man. We're living for that. We're not going to be put to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. Can we just take a minute to pray and be illuminated by the Holy Spirit today? God, be with us today as we, as we come to your word and we, um, we ask, Lord, that Holy Spirit, you'll give it the juice that it, it needs to help us relate it to where we're at in our life and, and for you to just bring revelation and empowerment and, and knowledge and, and good things to our heart as we unpack this little part of scripture and to, to embrace a, a dimension of your love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So God's love's been poured into our heart through the Holy Spirit. I'm going to be suggesting today that God's love is something it goes somewhere and it does something. That's what we're going to look at those three things because we see that God's love is poured into our heart and by the Holy Spirit, we're going to see what that motivates us to do. But I don't know what you think of when you hear God loves you. Um, if you grow up in the church, I mean, you probably were told pretty young, like, God loves you. Like, it's a, just a real foundational truth, isn't it? Hey, there's a beautiful sentiment that you are raised to know that God loves you. God is for you. God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. You know, you have this sort of idea that God loves me. I think it's a beautiful sentiment, one that I hope we cherish and hold on to. It's, it's, it's beautiful to keep saying that and sing that to our children. Sometimes for me, the understanding of God's love can be really hard to grasp at times because I have to sort through the layers of my own human understandings of love and also my own kind of preconceived biblical ideas of love sometimes I can miss the reality of God's love because I can operate from an already fixed position on what I think it is. I don't know if you have that problem, but it's so easy in the Bible with concepts to kind of just, you hear it so often that it can lose its polish. Have you ever had that, you know? Like, even that God loves you, it's like, great, mm, yes. But, but I hope that today we'll just unfold a little bit of a, a, a new dimension to that as we understand it. Because God's love is something. I, I don't know if... Um, you've ever heard of the word agape? You know, you've probably heard that. It's a Greek word. I don't speak Greek. Oh, I'm really not that clever in it. There's a great resource called Bible Hub. If you've never seen it before, biblehub.com will open up your whole world to your Bible study. It's beautiful. You can look at the original Greek word. You can look at the interlinear. You can see how it's transliterated and click on the word and, and, and it just opens up your study. So write down biblehub.com if you want to learn some stuff um, as you read the Bible. It's a great resource. I'm just saying I don't speak Greek but as I go and I research and I read, I discover this word agape, and I've heard it before. It means God's love. And every time I think of agape, I, my mind straight away goes to what Bible verse? Which Bible verse, when you think about what love is, you jump to? Well, maybe you don't, but for me, it's 1 Corinthians when Paul writes, love is. You know, it gives me this very practical picture of love is patient, love is kind. You know, you, have you seen that list before? beautiful. I think some of us have it on the wall, you know, what love is. You hang it up in your lounge room. Like, it's such a beautiful description of love. And Paul does this because the church was just not quite getting it. Well, they weren't really operating in real godly, brotherly, sisterly love, man. Like, it was a gong show. Paul's like, yeah, you might want to understand love because love looks like these things. 
When you have love, it's going to find expression in this way. So he's helping them understand that. So every time I think of God's love, that's kind of my concrete list. And it's not a bad list. That's pretty good. Um, I love that list. But sometimes I can limit God's love to that, okay, I already know what God's love is, because it's patient, it's kind, I get it. So I'm going to try and be patient, I'm going to try and be kind, I'm going to try and do God's love. Maybe you don't have that challenge, but I sometimes do. But I want to just, the word agape has some other layers to it that are so rich and so beautiful. Now, I can't show you all of it up there. I'm just going to, I'm just, I pulled out the parts from the descriptions to give you a list, okay? So this is what God's love looks like. The word agapeo and agape are intertwined. It means to love. And this is what it means properly, to prefer. For the believer, it means preferring to live through Christ. It means to embrace God's will, to choose His choices, and obey them through His power. So to love means to choose God's choices and obey them through His power, which I mean, when you really unpack that thought, I can't even love without God. That, that's a whole other dimension that I just would blow my mind to unpack a little bit, but we're not going to go there. You, you do that. It preeminently refers to what God prefers as His love. So, love is this thing about preferring to live through Christ, embracing His will, and obeying them through His power. It refers to what God prefers. It's actively doing what the Lord prefers, and with Him and by His power and direction, it's an affection that involves choice and selection. It's Christ living through the believer. It means to prefer, and it typically refers to divine love, which equals doing what God prefers. So there's these two sides to love. There's this reality of God's love and what it enables us and empowers us to do that has a picture of what God's love actually looks like. Now, we're going to hang that thought there for a minute. Christ living through you. I mean, that's a whole... Again, it's hard to not jump into those things. Imagine just focusing, what does it look like that Christ is living through you and finding expression in your everyday behavior, thoughts, actions? That would be a whole other thing. But we're going to hang that thought there. So, God's love is something, amen? And it's more than just what we read in 1 Corinthians and we say, this is the box in which God loves exists. God's love is rich, meaningful, it's about His desire, it's about His preferences, it's His will, it's Christ in us finding expression, let's leave it there. Romans 5 tells us that that love, God's love, has been poured out into where? Our heart. So, it goes somewhere. God's love is something, and it now goes somewhere, and it goes into this metaphorical thing that the Bible calls the heart. The heart is always used metaphorically in the Bible, always. It is not your organ. It's not like you have this big blood pump vessel, and Jesus opens a little door and goes inside this gross little heart, man. Like, it's a metaphor, and, and the metaphor is, when you read the word cardia, heart, Greek word again, biblehub.com, don't speak Greek, the effective center of our being. The effective center of our being. What that, to me, that says the very life force, the very center of who you are is referred to as the heart, where you desire, where you love from, where you operate from, is this metaphor called the heart. And the heart, the description is the desire producer that makes us tick. It's our desired decisions. It's mentioned over 800 times in Scripture, and it never refers to the literal physical pump that drives the blood. It's only figuratively. So the heart is the effective center of our being. 
It's what makes us tick. It's where we make our decisions from, and it's where we have the capacity for preference. The heart is a metaphor for all things. It's the center, and it's how God made us. Because when God made us, He made us with perfect preference, perfect desire, perfect love. And all of our love, desire, wants, thoughts were orientated to its perfect center, and there's just no question about it. It was a beautiful relationship, harmony. So God gave us this idea of a center in which all our actions, all our thoughts, all of who we are operate from this deeper place called the heart. It's actually our loves, our desires. We read in the Bible, though, Jeremiah 17, 9 tells us some devastating news. It tells us that the heart, the center of who we are, is actually deceitful above all things. That's a pretty personal statement. Like, it's deceitful above all things. So think about all things in the world. Think about all the deceit, all the lie, all the sickness, all the stuff. The very center of who we are, because of the fall, has created in us new desires, new loves, new orders of worship that are no longer centered on God, but are now deceitful above all things. The very center of who we are, no matter how much gloss we put on, no matter how much good we do, the Bible says, are like filthy rags. And the reality of that is to say that the very inside, the very driving force, the operating center of our life is actually quite sick. Because we see in the garden that Eve was tempted toward a behavior. It wasn't the behavior, it was the fact that she had been told a temptation which created a new awareness, a new desire center. And the Bible says she saw the fruit and her desire was for it. The devil created a new way to worship that wasn't God. Because what you worship is what you love. So worship isn't this outside thing. Worship is actually where we flow our loves from the center toward its right place. And so if it's not God, it's idolatry. Even good things when not God, is idolatry. <laughs> idolatry literally just means when the affection of our love is centered on something other than God. And this is what Jeremiah is saying, man, the heart, the center, the cardia, the will, the decision-making apparatus is sick and deceitful above all things. Don't despair, church. Do you know why? Because Romans just tells us that God in His mercy, because we're justified by faith in Christ, <laughs> pours out what into where? He pours out His desires, His love, His perfect moral preference into the container of our desires and will. He grabs His big old jug of love and pours it into our big old sick thing and all the other stuff flows out and He fills us with this new center of operation, this new direction that is centered on His preferences, his desires, Christ's life, His power, His enablement to follow with His will. It's why I love Romans 5 in the context of discipleship. Because the very inner core of who we are has been changed by the love of God. God's love is so much more than a practical list that we make it out to be. They're expressions of this internal transformational reality where our deceitful desires have been realigned with the center of our worship. We now have peace with God because it's like, oh, there it is. 
I, I, it's like, you know, if you had a downpipe and the rain is gushing and, and the downspout is popped out and you've got just water flooding everywhere and it's messy, it's going everywhere and you run out and you put that downpipe back, guess what happens to the water? It flows in direction. It's like our desires are this and that and we're, we're restlessly looking for something to fulfill that, that, that thing inside of us that can only be met when Jesus plugs it back in and the, the true direction of our love and desire is centered back on the Creator. Because God isn't this egocentric monster in heaven that says, worship me. No, He's so good that He pours out His love. He does the work. Because we don't measure up. He's so merciful that He loves us so much in His preferences toward us, His inclination of His favors, that He fixes it. He pours out new desires that are His desires, so we don't even have to try and produce those desires. We don't even have to try and do the work to love. We don't even have to try and do the work to worship. We don't have to do the work to try and be patient. Why? Because when we're centered in God's love, the affection of our love is His love. So all of a sudden, we flow in a life of worship that is directed from this incredible thing called God's love. So much more than just wishy-washiness. The deep transformational reality in the center of who we are. We have a new way to live life. And I know this is true because I've shared it before. I'm not going to say it all again. But when I was 21, I knew this was real. Because when I went to church and I had this transaction with Jesus Christ, my whole desires changed. Because I went home that night, and all my mates were partying in their room, because we all lived together, and we were all doing stupid things, and I remember just, I was fixated to my room, went to my bedroom, closed the door, sat in there, had a bit of a moment of freak out, I'm a Christian, wow, random, and all of a sudden, I'm sitting on my bed, and I just started processing, and all of a sudden, I had this, this incredible, like, desire that I never had before, trust me, I did not want to go and feed homeless people, it was not my thing. All of a sudden, all I wanted to do at 2 a.m., after I'd sat there for hours, is take all my stuff and just go to the city and just give it away. Because I just, there was just something changed. And then so the next day, I got up early, went to the Bible bookstore. That was not the kind of bookstore I would like to go and visit. All of a sudden, I'm going to a Bible bookstore, and I, I pick up a Bible, and I take it home, and I just start reading. I took the day off work, and I just wanted to read my Bible. And I started just freaking out, because there's two witnesses. And I'm like, who are the two witnesses? And I started looking, cross-referencing and finding out all these cool facts. And I discovered that Elijah, an Old Testament guy, he went up to heaven, didn't die. And I'm like, what? This is awesome. And I, I had this set of desires that had just changed me. I wanted to feed homeless people and give them my stuff. I didn't want to do that before. The day before, I was not thinking that. And the day before that, I was not thinking about buying a Bible and reading about the two witnesses. Your desires change when God's love comes into the center of your being. You begin to reorientate toward a new way of life. It's radical. This is what St. Augustine wrote in his Confessions. Great are you, Lord, and exceedingly worthy of praise. Your power is immense, your wisdom beyond reckoning. So we men, who are a due part of your creation, long to praise you. We also carry our mortality about us, with us, carry the evidence of our sin, and with it the proof that you thwart the proud. You arouse us so that praising you may bring us joy. Praising Him brings us joy? Because you have made us and drawn us to yourself, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. 
See, this is the thing. Our heart is desiring all things. It's just like it's like a, a neurotic thing that's just chasing after everything to find fulfillment, and it's restlessly looking. The center of who you are is just by nature rest because it's not at peace. Outside of the Garden of Eden, our hearts, our center is just corrupted and restless. And Augustine here is nailing it, that the center of who we are is so restless, directing our behavior, directing our thoughts, attracting us to everything until it just clicks and finds rest in the God of the universe. And he's so merciful that he gives us this beautiful thing. It's restless until it rests in God. And this is the insane nature of God's love. It's this beautiful heart response from the the right place. God's love does something. So God's love is something. It's not just a shopping list. It's a force. It's real. It comes into the reality of your life, your center, your heart, your cardia, changes your desires, which means you now walk in true worship, and then it does something. Remember, agapeo means to actively do what the Lord prefers with Him by His power and direction. So what that means is He enables you now to walk with Him by His power, not yours, and His direction, His will to live a life for God. It's almost like too simple. It's like, you, you just it's the worst trade ever. Your life, stinky, corrupted, broken heart with not much good, His perfect whole love, His power, His strength, His will. It's so good. It's like the worst transaction ever, but God willingly takes it, and you just become this whole person, peace with God, and you do His desire. So remember, I'm going to say it again, you've been justified, you've been right with God because of Jesus Christ. And then He pours out His powerful love into the container of our desires and gives us a new fixed point to live our life toward. He accomplishes everything. And when that transaction takes place, Christ's love completely changes who we are becoming and the natural result is we live for God. Paul nails it in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, for Christ's love compels us. God's love comes into that place and now you can't do nothing but move into the will of God. Because you're enabled by His love in the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, which is God is love, He comes into your life as the perfect love gift with the power of the Holy Spirit to be compelled. I love that word, compelled. It's like you can't even, you just move. Like the love of God, He says, is making me do this. I'm not in control anymore. It's like He's operating me. I'm just going because God is compelling me to live for Him. Because we're convinced that he died for all and everyone should die. Because God died, his perfect love comes in, we're all dead. We're dead to his perfect will, which is good news. We just abandon it for God. And then we actively do what the Lord prefers because our desires are now his desires and we completely live for Jesus. And you know what? In this season, it's been really interesting for me to reflect on that because... I don't know about you, but last year was really weird. I've got a shaved head now. Like, my whole life is, like, corrupted, man. But last year, I was um, thinking a lot about the fact that so much of what I love was taken away. Rightfully or wrongfully, this is just me reflecting, I love sport, man. I, I would, 
if I wasn't careful, Pastor Greg knows I would watch Formula One, cricket, and there's like Test Match cricket, Day cricket, 2020 cricket, Big Bash League cricket. There's a lot of cricket. Formula One, cricket. I'd sometimes watch MotoGP because it was an Aussie racer. He was pretty good. I'd watch my Australian rules football. There's rugby, and there's two different kinds of rugby. There's rugby league, rugby union. Um, I didn't like soccer that much, but if it was World Cup, I'm in. Hockey, NFL, CFL, nah, but I'll still watch it. Like, it's still there. Like, that's a lot of attention towards sport. And last year, I was like, it's just not there anymore. And now I can't even go to a restaurant? I like going to restaurants. I like spending my money on good food, clearly. I like visiting with my friends sometimes. I like going out, having people over. Like, I love vacations. I wanted to go on a vacation last year. We just came out of the ministry. We thought, we're going to do a little missions trip as a family. Like, we're going to spend our money. Gone. Everything was so disrupted. Now, I'm not suggesting that that's God punishing. I'm just not getting into that theological argument. I had to personally reflect on the fact that so much of what I love was taken away. But when all those things were taken away, what was I left with? I had to come to this really cool, incredible conclusion that despite all that stuff, I had to have the humility to reflect and just be like, okay, again, I'm not getting political with any of you. I'm just saying for me, this is, I had to reflect and realize that like, despite all those things where the attention of what I love, and they're all not wrong things, but where I would direct my love from, were gone, and I was like, wow, things have been shaken, but what I was left with was this very intimate, personal reality of the power of God's Holy Spirit in my life, that was as close as ever, that was still alive in me, that as I began to realize that in the, the chaos of like what I saw was becoming missing from my life, had to be reorientated to the fact that what I do have is the reality of God in the center of my life. I get to love and worship God, the God of the universe, despite all those things going missing from my life. Idolatry is subtle. Idolatry is a subtle inclination toward worship and love of things that are not of God. But when rightly ordered, can be enjoyed. That's not a bad thing to love hockey. I'm going to go to the hockey this year if I can. I love it. I'll take your tickets. I'm good. But what I'm saying is, in this brief landscape of reflection, I had to come to this really cool reality. And when I did that, guess what happened? I entered into His rest, where I was restless before, because there was so much external noise and stuff that I couldn't control, and it was dictating the nature of my life. And when I realized that what I have is an internal, intimate relationship with the King of Kings, that brings peace with God through Christ, enables me to live mission with the Holy Spirit, it's a different rest that you begin to find because you're restless until you're resting in Him. I do need to finish. There was another point I was going to go, but I'm not going to say it because, you know, your life isn't always perfect when you encounter God's love first. How many of you know it's not a one-time transaction? Put your hand up, God's love comes in, you're good. You all know that. It's a, it's a journey. God's love is a force that is something daily, needs to be recognized and implemented. It's why the church here has a value that says, receive God's grace daily to do His eternal work, to live for His eternal purposes, because there's this task of realizing that our heart continues to get filled up with the wrong things because we're in this dichotomy of the world. But, you know, God is so faithful and merciful that He continues to just pour this 
real, active, not static life force into us. And you know what? What's really cool is it's so active that tomorrow He's going to pour it into someone's heart for the first time. Today He might pour it into someone's heart for the first time. He's constantly just pouring and pouring out His love, so much of it, to change us toward Him so we have peace. It's so good. And, and Paul just says to the Philippian church, work out your salvation, man. Work it out. What that means is that transactions take place. It's going to find its way into every area of our life. That's the journey of discipleship. That's the journey of coming together as God's people and, and being formed and shaped in our worship, in our, in our meeting, and in our, in our Bible study and everything that it's forming us toward, allowing the love of God to find expression in every area of my life. That I just live for God. I'm compelled to live for Him. You're compelled. We're this compelling force of God's kingdom on this earth, bringing His love, which is not wishy-washy. It's helping people reorientate their life to God. And it's tough. It's not always easy. The disciples knew it. They said, God, okay, it's radical. What are we going to do? Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God. The word seek means desire. Hey, guys, just desire God's reign on this earth. Desire to see His lordship reign in your life and in the world's life. Just desire the kingdom. And when you walk in obedience to that, God will provide all your needs. And that's why I'll finish on this quick little story about Mary and Joseph. Christmas time, love it. We talk about Mary and Joseph, such an important sort of a cultural reminder every year, isn't it, about the birth of Christ. Post-birth, though, is what really gets me at this time. Because after all was said and done, Joseph and Mary, they were awoken in the middle of the night. They were awoken by an angel that says, you've got to get out of here. Run away. Jesus is, is Someone's coming after, they want to kill all the babies, you've got to go now. So Mary and Joseph, who have already taken this phenomenal faith journey in this uncomfortable situation, you know, giving birth to Christ in a manger, nothing seemed like it was, you know, desirable, but yet they're operating in this obedience. And they come to this situation where they're awoken in the middle of the night and they say, you've got to go to Egypt like, don't even just go down the road. You've got to flee the country. Get out of here. This is dangerous. And what do they do? They get up and they run away. And I want to think about that. Baby Jesus, there's no, like, F-150. There's no, like, tent that has five zippers and rooms. And Like, these guys were just, in the middle of the night, dusty road, get out of town and live in Egypt for a couple of years. How are you going to do that? I don't know if you've ever asked God when he invites you. How am I going to do that? Like the disciples go, where's our provision going to go? This is not, like Jesus says, just love the kingdom, be obedient. Because what happened, and I don't know if this is biblical or not, you can scorn me later. But the Magi showed up, remember? And they brought gifts. And there's so much prophetic meaning to those gifts. I love looking at his kingship and his priesthood and these beautiful things. But what I love is that they had gifts. Someone brought an abundance to them and they run to Egypt and they got gold. I don't know if that got them a little shack to rent. I don't know if it brought them a few falafels along the way. I have no idea. But I love that concept that like they're walking in this phenomenal radical obedience to God. They're woke in the middle of the night. They flee to Egypt and they didn't even quit. They just went. And along the way, their provision came and they stayed there. And when they came back, Jesus grew up. And then, I don't wonder what Mary would have been like when she saw Jesus die, but when he reappeared and she saw the fullness and thought, wow, because she was obedient. And so we wonder sometimes where our provision will come from as we follow God, as we are enabled by his love. We, my restless desires want to fix my wage and fix this, but it's just like, nah, live for Jesus, man. Live for Jesus. 
receive His grace daily to accomplish His eternal purposes. You can only control today. We heard it. Don't wait till tomorrow to worship God. Like, live it now. Time's short. Get going. Let God's love change you and enable you and empower you because He's done it all for you. You don't have to do anything, really. Then just let God love you. And it sounds so wishy-washy and simple for a bloke. Yeah, God loves you. But no, it's like he, he enables you, man. He gives you power to do His will. It's good news. So I'll finish with this verse. Ephesians, Paul says this. For this reason I bow my knee before the Father from, every, from whom every family in heaven on earth is named. That according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you, you're being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what's breadth, length, height, 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 <laughs> height and depth, and to you to know the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. That's a steak and a potato. That just sums it up. Paul's saying you're grounded in love. Now you get to discern and live because you're grounded and rooted in reality of His love. Let's pray. Hey, God, just so thankful for just a little throwaway line almost in Romans that has such depth and meaning. And God, I just pray you'll stir us on and in the faith journey that you've called us to live. Uh, yeah, God's love, eh? Man, I don't know if you're here today and uh, I don't know. Maybe one time you encountered that love and maybe it just became stale somehow. You know, your life got filled with the restlessness of life and your own desires and you know we just learned today that God's inclined towards you though man he's just got this massive bucket of love that he's just waiting to just pour into your, your container just open the lid man like and so I just want to invite you today if that's you like you kind of know what I'm saying I don't even put words to it anymore you just know what I mean like that fresh enablement of his pure love to come back into your life and for you to start partnering with his will again and to experience that joy if that's you today just put your hands two hands up in like just to receive from God today, just a fresh anointing from the Holy Spirit to flow into your heart, to change your life, to just remind you that you are His child. He is for you, not against you, and He's ready to do almighty things in your life, despite your age, despite your gender, despite where you come from. God is ready to fill your bucket with love, to give you an empowerment to live for Him to be compelled for Him. And with the humility with your hands open, we say, God, we receive from you today. Fill us with your love. Fill us with your power. Remind us this week of your goodness and mercy. Forgive us our debts. Forgive us our sin. Cleanse us of all unrighteousness so that we may move into the fullness of your mercy and grace today and that we would have cause for reflection this week as we study your word. And maybe we'll just look at what your love is with these new set of paradigm. God, it will unfold your love in richer and deeper ways with your Holy Spirit. So pour out your heart into, pour out your love into our heart today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.